Hello, everyone, and welcome to the United City Greensboro podcast, a church in the heart of Greensboro with a desire to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. You can learn more about our community at unitedcitygso.com. Enjoy today's teaching. Good morning again. I'm Corey, one of the leaders here, and I'm just going to read the scripture for you this morning, and I'm going to ask you what you like to stand as I read to give reverence to the word. It'll be Lamentations 1, 18 through 22. The Lord is righteous, yet I rebelled against his command. Listen, all you peoples. Look on my suffering, my young and men and young women have gone into exile. I called to my allies, and they, but they betrayed me. My priests and my elders perished in the city while they searched for food to keep themselves alive. See, Lord, how distressed I am. I am in torment within, and in my heart I am disturbed, for I have been most rebellious. Outside the, outside the sword breathes, inside there is only death. People have heard my groaning, but there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my distress. They rejoice at what have, you have done. May you bring the day that you have announced so that they may become like me. Let all their wickedness, become, wickedness come before you. Deal with them as you have dealt with me. Because of all my sins, my groans are many and my heart is faint. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. No, I am not Spencer. Uh, My name is Jay, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I'm actually a pastor of formation and discipleship here at United City. Excuse me. And um, Spencer and... I'm so sorry, y'all. This is a great start, isn't it? (laughs) I may sound a little stuffed up. I promise you it's seasonal allergies, okay? So don't... Please do not shun me, Okay. So, anyway, yes, my name is Jay. I'm a pastor here on staff at United City. Um, I'm pastor of discipleship and formation. And I'm filling in for Spencer and Jordan, Pastor Spencer and Jordan, because they had their beautiful baby girl this past week. Um, So, if you are listening to this, Jordan and Spencer, know that we love you. We are happy for uh, Sarah Jay to be here with us, and we miss you guys and can't wait to see you again. So, they may sneak in a little bit over the next few weeks, but obviously they are adjusting to baby life. So, um, we're excited for them. Um, Last week, we ended a series, a long series, on the rhythm of life. Uh, The Rhythm of Life series was an opportunity for us to dive in together as a church to understand and align ourselves with what does it really mean to apprentice under the name of Jesus? What does it really mean to follow and practice the way of Jesus? Um, And we finished that series up last week, and this week we are diving into a new series. We are transitioning into the book of Lamentations. Um, Lamentations is... Not the most shipper book in the Bible. If you have any history of Sunday school or Bible Belt, uh, you know, background of understanding what Lamentations is all about. Um, Lamentations is a very somber and very hard and difficult, heavy read as we dive in this week or in this, this week and in the weeks ahead. I hope that we are able to move ourselves into a posture and a position to really understand what does it mean to live in the grace and in the grief and in the 
emotions that we experience through life. Um, I think that what is beautiful about why we're making this transition is it's almost as if we've, we have created a system or created some sort of rhythm for us to prepare ourselves to then have the hard discussions of what life can bring. And we hope to do that through this Lamentations series. Um, what we're going to do today is we're actually just going to have kind of like a brief overview. Um, I'm going to dive in heavy into the text. Um, for those who love expository preaching, expository meaning a fancy word of just reading the text and seeing what it says, um, this is your day today. So for those of you who are not uh, Bible bookworms or nerds, please just bear with us for a little bit. Um, but then we'll get into some practical application of understanding what do we learn from Lamentations? What do we have to gain from Lamentations? Um, so as Corey read, we are going to be going through Lamentations 1 this morning. Um, and I want to kind of start off by setting the context and the setting of what is Lamentations about? I mean, what is, it, what is it in regards to the history of the Bible and the story of the Bible? Well, Lamentations is actually a book made up of five separate poems. Um, and these poems are a poetry style called Laments. Um, laments are not unique to Lamentations. It's just simply that Lamentations is made up of five laments, and that's why it's called Lamentations. There are laments in Psalms. David writes many laments. Um, but in this particular book, um, authorship is usually attributed to the prophet Jeremiah. Now, traditionally, that's what it is. There are some scholars who probably debate against that and say that it's not Jeremiah, but generally speaking, we accept that Jeremiah is the author. Um, Jeremiah was a great prophet of the Old Testament to the kings of that time, and all through Jeremiah, Jeremiah being one of the longest prophetic books in the Bible, Jeremiah is constantly calling the Israelites, calling Judah and Jerusalem back to the ways of Jesus, or to the ways of Jesus, sorry, to the ways of the Lord, um, calling him to, them to repent, to turn away from the cultural um, uh, digression that they had made. Um, some, some things to, to note about Lamentations. The first four poems are known as an acrostic. So what we mean by acrostic is each stanza starts with a letter in the Hebrew Bible. Obviously, in your Bible and your translation, it's not going to look like that. But in the Hebrew translation, each stanza starts with one letter of the, of the Hebrew um, alphabet, so like A, B, or C in their context. Um, there is order to the lament. It's very interesting how it's structured. Uh, the first four chapters, right, are ordered in this acrostic structure, and then the fifth chapter is not. It's just this, honestly, this overwhelming desire to, um, uh, to unburden oneself with the emotions and the grief and the pain. But in many ways, these first four poems, the structure itself, kind of gives us an idea of that in our pain and our grief that there is a way to order in such a way that actually brings us to a place where we can truly connect with the Lord and be honest with ourselves. So what does Lamentations do? What does this book do? Why are we diving into this? Lamentations gives God's people a language to speak in the midst of suffering. And the grief and the pain that we, we deal with and the curveballs of life and the ups and the roller coasters, ups and downs and roller coasters of life, it gives us a language to speak to God. That we are able to present ourselves to our Lord and actually admit that things are not okay. And that we need uh, an ability to express ourselves in that, some, in that way. The emphasis of the lament is not to question, our, as our modern philosophies might, in regards to the definition, origin, or existence of suffering. suffering. Rather, what we find in the Old Testament and in the prophets is that we are called to explore the purpose and results of suffering. 
So Lamentations offers a language of not just say, asking, you know, why do we suffer? Why is suffering? You know, you might get on YouTube or something, you could see a debate between apologetics and people and philosophies trying to decide or understand the problem of evil. You know, why does evil exist? But what we understand as Christians, as followers of Jesus, connected to the reality of a broken world and brokenness in our society, that it just simply does exist. And so it's not necessarily trying to explain it away. It's more about coming to terms with the fact that it does exist and that there is a greater power to overcome it. Lamentations offers grief from communal and national experience. Many, many ways in the West, we, we have individualized sin to the core, right? It's, it's always individual decisions. But when you talk about Near Eastern cultures, you talk about the context of the culture that this was, book was written, this, these letters from laments were written, there's a communal aspect where the community is grieving together over a communal sin that they committed together. We are called to understand the communal pain opposite of perhaps the interval per- Individual perplexities of suffering maybe we found in Job, right? I know growing up in church, constantly going to Job about this individual man that suffers, and that's good. We, we should talk about those things. But the reality is there is an element where as a group, we have to come to terms with what we have done together. And in a stray, as a community, how we have strayed away from the Lord. So again, what do we learn from limitations? Over the next few weeks, we will be diving into these ideas. First, what it means to lament How do we voice our grief? How do we understand what it means to suffer well? Next week on Halloween, which I feel like is so appropriate for this uh, topic, um, we will be understanding God's wrath. It's a very taboo thing in our culture, particularly within the church too. We don't want to talk about God's wrath, the idea that God is wrathful. And that the fact that it's not acted out of, his, out of unhinged motivation. That there's something more and there's actually something good to God's wrath. We actually crave God's wrath. Um, understanding that God is aware of our pain and he lives in our pain. Um, that there are consequences to our sin. There are consequences to our choices. But ultimately God sits with us in it. So as Corey read through the first chapter, a little snip of it, I'm going to try to condense this first chapter of Lamentations down this morning for us to kind of guide ourselves through as we can start this journey into these laments. Um, What you'll find in Lamentations is a personification, particularly in this first chapter, a personification of the city of Jerusalem as a widow. So why Jerusalem? What's so significant about Jerusalem? Jerusalem was the seat of of the temple, the seat of God, right? That is where God dwelled, where his people dwelled. The context and background of Lamentations is in 2 Kings 25. So I would encourage you on your own time to go to 2 Kings 25 and read through it. But essentially what happens is, is as I said earlier, Jeremiah has been constantly telling the Israelites, telling Jerusalem, you need to turn away. You need to turn your eyes back towards the Lord's commands, um, At this time, Israel is, well, actually the kingdom is split in half. There's a northern kingdom in Israel, and there's actually a southern kingdom in Judah, which contains Jerusalem. Uh, In 550 BC, the Assyrians come in, um, they ransack the northern kingdom, and at this, this next period, the Babylonians come into the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, and they surround the city. Um... In that time, a particular way of warfare was to surround a city and basically blockade it. 
to keep it from being able to receive supplies, receive food. And so the people, the army inside of Jerusalem are trapped inside of there. And unfortunately, if you read through 2 Kings 25, there's some somewhat Game of Thrones type items that happen, okay? Um, I would love for HBO or some to do a series on the Bible because it's, it's so outside of our idea of felt boards and, uh, and color books or whatever that we got in Sunday school. Um, but there's some Game of Thrones things that happen. The city is cut off. Uh, the people are without food. Um, there's even one historian that notes that the, ch- the people so starved and so needing for food resort to cannibalism. It's, it is dark. It is heavy. Um, And so what happens is eventually the city is ransacked, it's taken over, the temple is destroyed. And in that time in in the Near East, one of the things that they would do is they would take the people of the city and they would capture them and take them back to their their homeland. So the Babylonians took many of the people who were considered artisans or doctors or scientists or whatever, you take the best of the culture that you like, it's cultural appropriation to the T, and you bring it back with you. And, um, You don't let it go to waste. So these people are now taken into bondage and they're brought to Babylonia, which if you look at a map is kind of in modern modern day Iraq. So again, going through this first chapter, there is an element of grief. There are elements of grief that we can learn through this. These people have been taken from their city. Their temple is destroyed or the temple of God is destroyed. They're from their homes. They're in a foreign land. And in this opportunity, Jeremiah pens a long, um, uh, again, lament of understanding what it means to experience this grief and this pain of what's happened to Jerusalem and to her people. So again, like I said, we see elements of grief in its loneliness. Uh, There are four areas of uh, elements of grief that we experience, and the first one, again, is in its loneliness. Um, Jerusalem is personified as a widow in this chapter. And so a widow in this cultural context is the worst of circumstances for a woman in a patriarchal society. For a woman at this time, it was necessary that she was either married or connected to the family. And so through this first chapter, we see a, um, the element of a city personified as a widow who has been stripped of her dignity, stripped of um, understanding who she is and her identity and her home. The seed of God, the temple, the shining hope of God's people has been abandoned. The Lord has left his temple, once full of people, now sitting alone, once great among the nations, now a widow, once queen of the cities, now a slave. We see the elements of grief and its causes in this chapter. We see the effects of sin and its implication. The shame, the sin, the shame sin brings, the defilement sin brings, the desecration sin brings, and the famine that sin brings. There's an element, uh, a stanza in this, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter where the widow says that I have been stripped bare. The people are now exposed to their shame. They are now laid bare. The choices of the people have come back to haunt them as the effect of sin is inescapable. The question might be, what what choices did they make? What sin did they commit? After the kingdom had been divided, there were several different kings who were leading Judah, leading Jerusalem. And many of them were not good kings. Many of them were taking uh, false gods, items of the culture, and allowing them to infiltrate into 
the temple into their religious context. They were no longer following the ways that God had placed before them. And again, Jeremiah is constantly telling them in his book before this, we need to turn back to God. We need to turn back to God. And one of the things that Jeremiah would do, Jeremiah would actually stand outside the temple and tell people to repent, to turn, to turn, to turn. And one of the things that many people would do is they would point to the temple. And say, well, Jeremiah, the temple's here. A.K.A., God's seat is here. Surely God's not going to do anything to the temple, right? Surely we're fine, right? We can do what we want to do. There's no way he's going to turn his back. What we learn through that is that God's really not so much after our actions and our attitude and posture towards religious activities. He's really more after our heart and our posture of where we're actually following him and actually facing him. So God calls us to do that even in our own lives. But particularly in this, this context, he has called the people to turn constantly, constantly, and they haven't. And to this point, now they, have, um, they are now reaping the, the consequences of that. We see the element of grief in its purpose, the purpose of grief. The second half of the chapter, we see the personified Jerusalem ask those who pass by, who can compare with her pain? They are asked rhetorically to look and to listen. Comparatively to ourselves, we also do this in our grief, do we not? We believe, that, well, we believe that what we are going through is extraordinary and totally removed from what any normal being can bear. Yet Jerusalem personified maps out the purposes of her experience. In verse 13, we are called to turn back to the Lord. That the grief that we experience and the grief that they experience actually does something in us where we actually turn and face the Lord. It ties us up in our sin, as it, does in, as it explains in verse 14. The sins of the people have tied them up as to force them to be drawn closer to God in ways that the goodness or blessings of God could ever do. I once heard a story one time uh, of a girl who wasn't able to feel pain. Some very rare genetic disorder. She was not able to feel pain. Um, and I remember the, the mother was praying that her daughter would be able to feel pain. Can you imagine the, uh, the detriment of not being able to feel pain? Pain, in many ways, is a good thing, right? If we step on something, if we touch something, right, we cut ourselves, this is our body's reaction to us to tell us there's, this is not a good thing for us, right? This is, not, this is not something that we want. And in the same way for this girl, this mother was praying that she would be able to feel pain, and I think sometimes we can insulate ourselves in such a way that we pray for God's goodness and blessing, but really what we're asking is much worse than what we could actually experience. In verse 15, it calls us to, it talks about being crushed before our enemies. He does something to us in ways that affect us for our good. The next element of grief that we experience through this chapter is in its confessions. Jerusalem turns her lament to the Lord as if her lament to those who pass by has been discovered to, to be, be done so in vain. God should be the only source of knowing the truth of her pain. In many ways, in my own grief, I've, done, I've experienced, and maybe you've experienced this in your suffering or your pain, we're constantly trying to turn to someone who will be able to resonate with us, be able to understand us. And in, sometimes in those moments, you know, in our ability to try to justify or to explain or to have someone become an ally to us in our pain, we forget that the true person that we have to turn to first is God. 
that only through him, the all-knowing creator God, can we truly understand the depth of our pain and to understand its purpose in our life. She petitions for the Lord to see and acknowledge her, see her acknowledgement of her rebellion, to witness her suffering, and for his requital, requital of her enemies, that they would turn their hearts and minds to God. So in our grief and our pain, we are called to, <clears throat> excuse me, to acknowledge our rebellion, acknowledge where we have fallen short. Scripture says that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have to be honest with ourselves about where we have failed. We have to be honest about our suffering and our pain that we feel. And then in this last part, again, she asks for the requital of her enemies. In, in other words, she wants her enemies to feel what she's felt, <clears throat> which is really kind of interesting because I remember Jesus saying, turn the other cheek, right? Why would we want our enemies to experience what we're experiencing? But in this context, I think what is happening is she's asking, I hope, I, I pray that people who are blind to the reality of their gods or idolatry, whatever they're following, would feel pain in the sense that they would turn to God just as I've turned to God. And so we should pray that. I've experienced this too. Sometimes I've heard some people say, you know, some people don't really understand or learn until they hit rock bottom, right? And unfortunately, that's, that's just the truth. I know there are some situations, in, particularly in my family, that we're dealing with right now that, honestly, I don't wish pain, but if the pain turns them to the Lord, I couldn't wish for anything else. So what does all this mean? Jay, we've talked through, I'm sure you're saying, Jay, we've talked through this entire chapter. It's really heavy, long. There's a lot of allegory, a lot of poetry. But what does it all mean for us? While much of what Judah experiences cannot be personally compared to us, their lament gives us a language to our own grief, which is sorely lacking in our culture. The West has this myth of a long ascension towards utopia and progress. In our cultural context, we are on this long, pro this long myth of believing that each year we go along, things are going to get better and better and better. Yet if we look at history, that is not the case. We are 20, 20 years removed from one of the bloodiest centuries in the history of humanity. We can see the pain and the suffering that many people face outside of the context of our country and our culture. Most of our Western view of pain is a determination to be insulated, distracted, or immune to that pain. Yet in the full humanity by which we were created, we are called to acknowledge the grief and pain as a true emotion to be felt. In many ways, I know the dangers, or I've, I know myself, I've experienced the dangers of trying to mask my pain, of trying to escape my pain. Whether that is scrolling through social media, whether that is going and binging on Netflix, whether that is shopping and buying something, because I deserve that in this moment, right? You know, I deserve to treat myself, which there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but if, it, if it's an aim in order to mask our emotional health, in order to put a Band-Aid on our pain, then I think we're kind of losing the plot a little bit. 
Unfortunately, the Western world is the least prepared to deal with suffering and grief since it is centrally focused on the meaning, on a meaning constructed around happiness. We live in a cultural context that is seeking happiness. Our founding documents say the pursuit of happiness. And in many ways, I know that you could probably say that's a little reductive, Jay. Like, there's more to it than that. There is. But the reality is, we are a cultural society that's based on hedonism, that we pursue pleasure and we pursue many of the constructs of how we view the world through pleasure and through happiness. Sometimes we are now offering trigger warnings to the psychological hurt others may feel. And we give little consequence to not succeeding. I think that there is an element of, of our lives in stewarding and loving other people to love them gently and love them well. But there is an element of addressing truth, our longing for truth, and our attachment to false truths that requires a sense of pain. There is a sense of loving someone enough to tell them, this is not good. You feel like this is good, but it's not good. And I believe that God has more for you. Again, we give little consequences to not succeeding. This is probably one that's a little bit of my soapbox, so forgive me. Um, I remember growing up and uh, playing baseball, playing t-ball as a kid, playing, you know, all types of things, sports. Um, and I remember at the end of the year, everyone would have a little party and everyone would get a trophy. And I think to myself, what did we win? Um, this is not a tirade against participation trophies. But I do think that there is an element of a narrative within our culture that we should insulate people from failure in such a way they are not able to grow or learn or to move forward. Again, like I said, the West world is the least prepared to deal with suffering in many ways. That is the challenge for us living in America. We don't know what it means to suffer well in many cases. And we have to create a language and understand what does it mean to go through pain, to experience pain, and come out on the other side knowing that there's a God who's in control. Not us, but God. Grief offers an opportunity for renewal, to turn our face towards the Lord and experience revival. Some of the greatest revivals in history happen on the back end of some of the worst, worst elements or... Um, points in history for mankind. We can take solace that in our pain, we can take solace in that our pain is real. And we are encouraged to face our pain and to engage in its reality. If you gain anything from this series over the next few weeks, I hope that it gives you the freedom to say, I'm not okay. That this is not okay. That what I'm experiencing is far from the Eden that God wants for me. And that I have a safe place to express that. Lamentations, again, gives us a language to grieve well. And we see this not just in Lamentations in the Old Testament. We see this as it connects with Jesus. 
Jesus reveals in his full humanity the pain of loss, of betrayal, and destitution. We see him weep over the city. He is stripped bare in his crucifixion, and he bears the iniquities of our sin. And as it says in Hebrews, we do not uh, serve a God who cannot um, understand our pain and our suffering. But through Jesus and his full humanity, we are with a God, we worship a God, and we follow a king who knows our pain, knows what it means to feel betrayed, knows what it feels to experience loss and death. But that we can hold fast to the fact that he has overcome death. And if Jesus can go through it, he invites us to go through it with him. In many ways, what Jesus exemplifies to us and what connects with Lamentations is a death process. It is a process for us to understand and to know, maybe I don't have it all together. And maybe I'm not supposed to have it all together. Again, kind of going back to this um, insulation from pain. It's easy to scroll through Instagram, Facebook, whatever your social media of choice is, and to think that everyone else has it together. They don't have it together. They're just really good at masking it. And we have to be honest with ourselves that that's not the reality of what life is. Our culture thinks that that's what life's supposed to look like. And there's moments we can celebrate that. I'm not saying that we should just drown in our pity and our pain all the time. But are we being honest with ourselves? So some exercises for you to kind of do through this week. Um, What is your pain? I think that's, that's the first place we have to start, is what is the pain that you feel? Are you being honest about your pain? Are you being honest with yourself about that? I encourage you to write down your pain this week. Um, we will get into a little bit more of this, but um, part of my testimony and my story is I've, I've actually dealt with mental illness since I was eight years old. I had my first panic attack when I was 12 years old. And it's been a long journey of tears and frustration and wondering, God, are you ever going to make me better? Um, And I remember sitting down with the counselor one time and him and I mapping out trauma, being honest with our trauma. Um, I will say this is going to be a very difficult and heavy series. Um, And I I wanna say I'm, I'm not a licensed counselor No one who speaks here, I believe, is going to be a licensed counselor. But I want to say that if you are going through grief or pain, mental illness, depression, whatever it may be, please talk to someone, myself or someone else on staff, um, and know that you're not alone and that people are here that love you very much. Um, It's important to, again, to be honest about these things and to turn our face towards them. There's a timing with all of this. There's a timing with understanding what your pain is, your grief, what you've experienced, things that you've buried mentally or emotionally. Um, But again, I think it just starts with honesty and vulnerability. Again, going back to this chapter in Lamentations, the city personified as a widow is stripped bare and she is made vulnerable. Something that Western society has a lot of issues with is vulnerability. Honest, healthy vulnerability. 
Not vulnerability in the sense of just flashing my pain so that it brings me some sort of um, notoriety, <laughs> but experiencing and sharing our pain so that others may benefit from it, but mostly that you can benefit from it. Um, there is a verse in, in John 9 that's been somewhat of a testimony verse for myself, chapter for myself. Um, and so we ask constantly the question, you know, what is it? Why does God allow these things to happen? Why would a good God allow grief and pain to happen? And one of my go-to chapters and verses I go to is John 9. I think it's John 9 or 11. And if you know the story, Jesus and his disciples are approaching the gates to the city. Um, and they walk by this man that's blind. And the disciples ask Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was it his sin or his mother and father's sin that he was born blind? And Jesus responds, it's not his sin or his mother or father's sin that he was born blind. But this happens so that the glory of God could be revealed through him. We are instruments for a greater narrative that, than anyone else could ever write. We are little bits of hope and light that God uses us, uses us for his kingdom and for the world. The question is, do you believe that that light resides inside of you and that he's given you that light to overcome your grief and your pain? Um, I'm actually going to ask Anderson or someone just to come up and play softly um, for just a second. Um, and I'm going to close this out in prayer. Um, and uh, Corey and Grace, y'all mind coming up to receive prayer? Um, I'm going to pray for us, um, but I just kind of want to create a space that if this morning, if you're feeling some sort of grief or pain, you feel like you need prayer over something, um, I want us to be able to offer that to you. So Grace, Grace and um, Corey will be up here to receive prayer. Um, but as Anderson pray, uh, plays, I just want you to ask those questions. You know, again, I've said it repeatedly. Are you being honest with yourself? Are you being honest about the things that you've experienced? Are you being honest about the story that God has placed on your life? Again, I think that it's easy for us to become self-insulated and self-revolved around the fact that it's not okay for me to feel this. And it's not. But how are you allowing the Lord to turn it to good? So in this moment, I'm going to ask that um, we just kind of do an exercise here as we close out. Um, I'd ask that you just um, sit in such a posture as almost in surrender, almost as in uh, your arms kind of on your knees or on your legs, open, receptive. If there's any tension in your body, God, that, uh, that you would just kind of release it. Um, and I'm just going to pray over us in this time as we dismiss. Father, I just pray in this moment, God, that your Holy Spirit would just simply touch us and touch each individual in here. Father, the heaviness and the weight that life can bring sometimes, um, it just seems, it's, it's too much for our human minds and emotions to sometimes feel like we can take and carry. And Lord, we know that we're not, uh, we're not built to carry it alone. Father, I just pray in this moment um, that your spirit would touch those that are feeling
any sense of pain, any sense of trauma, any sense of suffering. Father, pray that you would give us a language to speak in honesty and uh, receptivity of the truth that you can speak over us in the midst of our pain. Father, you would soften our hearts where it's been hardened by the world, hardened by loss, betrayal, hurt. Father, we would be receptive. Um, God, just this teaching, and God, just to uh, what it means to grieve well. Father, you sit in our pain with us. Um, God, you shed tears with us as we shed tears. Father, I pray in this moment, God, that we would honor the moment of uh, lament that our country feels, that our communities feel. Father, the sin that you see and that grieves your heart, Father, that you would allow us to turn to face that sin and to be honest with it, to call it out. Lord, that it would unify us, not necessarily divide us, but unify us under the name of Jesus and under your kingdom. Father, we love you and we thank you.